This podcast is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Find out more at the conclusion of today's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm Professor of Biblical and Religious Studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my co-host and long-standing friend, the Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of PCA Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the equally beautiful Shenandoah Valley. Great to have you back, Todd. Well, it's good to be with you. Um, you had to go solo on a, on, on a couple of uh, episodes recently with um, uh, David Strain and uh, Jason Halopoulos, uh, who've recently given us a couple of very good books on the topics of preaching and prayer. Um, personally, I don't like either of those guys at all, so I exited out of those <laughs> yeah, uh, meetings. They were pretty you know? rough. I, I felt like I had to go and have a shower actually between recordings. Oh, I know, I know. Um, those guys, very, very dodgy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really unpleasant fellows. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I must say, though, with your absence from the program, our listenership triple apparently for those episodes i would uh i would expect that now i i do want to reiterate though that um i've flown solo uh recently on an episode where i interviewed fred greco on some pca issues and i and i just want to restate um to our faithful listeners that you know though carl uh, had to miss and who knows he might have to miss again because of his busy speaking schedule you know carl with the release of your latest book and it being hailed as something very, very important. You're getting invitations to speak in all these different places. You're having interviews like every other day. And I just want to remind our audience that I will never do that. I will never write something that matters to the extent that anyone will ever want to talk to me about it. So I give that I give that oh. as a pledge. Oh, come on. What about that book on baptism you've been working on? For <laughs> yeah, that's coming out any day now, any day now. But listen, you know, whatever happens, I want to in, in, ensure everyone, whether this program uh, stays for the next um, 48 years or, or not, um, Carl and I are always going to be, uh, you know, together um, for the mortification of spin. So we are. And that is a terribly awful punning way of getting into the topic we're going to talk about today worst segue uh, ever yes even by this even by the exacting standards of this program that was pretty weak and terrible. that was that was so we want to talk today about together for the gospel uh it's uh, a conference taking place every two years now for over a decade uh organized by friends of ours good mm-hmm. guys uh recent years it's it's been just three guys it's been ligan duncan uh, Mark Dever and Al Mola. But Together for the Gospel announced recently that its meeting next year, beginning of next year, would be the final meeting of, of T4G, that the time of the conference had come to an end and uh, that there would be no more T4Gs after 2022. And that raises a lot of interesting questions, not particularly about the guys involved for T4G, but questions about 
the nature of, of gospel unity today, what, what it looks like, the nature of parachurch organizations, and that question of, of when should a parachurch organization call it a day. Uh, there's always a temptation, I think, in the parachurch world for the continuing of a particular organization to become the purpose of continuing. Uh, lots of organizations begin with a, a grand vision, a great vision, and an important contribution to make, and then become businesses, become organizations upon which livelihoods depend. And at that point, there can be a move from the passion of the, of the early revolutionary consciousness, I might say, to becoming a routine business, to going on for the sake of going on. And one thing one might say about T4G that is in many ways remarkable and perhaps admirable is, is the guys running it seem to have come to the conclusion that its day is done. They fulfilled the purpose of providing a conference that gave great uh, encouragement to pastors from across uh, the country, maybe from across the world for many years, but that that role has now come to an end, certainly for the leadership of the particular T4G group, and so they're calling it a day. And that's an unusual and remarkable move in the world of parachurch organizations. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I, it is remarkable. Um, I remember, and I forget what year it was. It was in the early 2000s. Um, I had transitioned from being a youth minister to being a, a senior pastor of a brand new- When, when you use the word transition there, it's important <laughs> to end the, uh, end the sentence these days. To immediately get on to the yeah. next set, uh, <laughs> statement about what that transition was about. Yes, I'd moved from being a youth pastor to being a senior pastor of a brand new Southern Baptist church in Wichita, Kansas. And a few years after uh, arriving there, I started in 2000, there was announcement of this uh, uh, conference and it was uh, Mark Dever and um, Al Mohler, um, CJ Mahaney and um, uh, Ligon Duncan. And they were having guests of John Piper, RC Sproul and John MacArthur and myself and many other uh, guys, young, young kind of Calvinistic Baptist guys saw that lineup and we just thought, man, this looks great. And so I was there at the very first one. Um, and there we were, I, I think somewhere, maybe around 2,500 of us all crammed into a, into a ballroom at the Galt House Hotel in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a marvelous, marvelous few days. And I went back um, every other year as it was held up until I think 2014, but, but I, I stuck with it. And as we had to move across the street to the, um, to the Louisville Convention Center, as it grew the, the from, yum, the yum center, that was the well, well, worst before, thing about its growth. Before that, it was at, <laughs> at the convention center in Louisville when it was running around five or 6,000. And then okay. it had to move to the yum center. Uh, which yes, terrible name, the KFC Yum Center, but because attendance grew to over 9,000, which is remarkable um, for yeah. any conference, especially a conference that is uh, kind of laser focused on what at that time in the earlier, in those earlier years might've been known as kind of the young restless reformed kind of guys. Yeah. In fact, I remember at the second conference, um, one of the men, I think it was Mark Dever, um, when there was about 5,000 of us there at the convention center, um, asked two guys, they had just authored a new book, asked two guys to stand up and be recognized because um, uh, Mark Dever thought their, their new book was really helpful. Uh, the name of the book was um, uh, um, Why We Are Not Emergent. Yeah, Why We Are Not Emergent by two guys who should be by, by this young guy named Kevin DeYoung and his co-author, uh, Ted Cluck. And, you know, they were just members out in the audience like the rest of us. And uh, I remember getting that book after that, and it was very helpful. So it, it's been a it was a really exciting time 
um, every other year to go back to that conference, to see guys that you had met, um, to fellowship with men that you took from your church, and to be encouraged by really great preaching, um, to get new books and resources. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, but, but then controversies uh, erupted. Of course, there was the, the issue surrounding Sovereign Grace Ministries, and there were allegations about child sexual abuse and cover-up. And so there was a painful exit there that was very public um, from one of the four guys, C.J. Mahaney. And then, and then at their 2018 conference, there was some fallout and a lot of negative chatter afterwards because of a few of the sermons and about a, concerning a panel discussion about the, the, the work and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and the present state of racism, et cetera. And there was a lot of negative fallout from that. And, and, and then, of course, as you mentioned recently, um, uh, Ligon, Duncan, and Mark Dever, two men we respect, men that have done great work for the church, um, announced you know, that they were, this was going to be the last and that Al Mohler was not able to join them. And it felt like, first of all, I, I agree with you completely. It's nice when something that's been so successful, when its organizers say, you know what? I think we've served our purpose. Let's, let's not do this anymore. There's something really refreshing about that. And I respect them uh, for making that decision. It also reminded me though, and this isn't about together for the gospel per se, but it remind, it reminded me about the uniquely challenging times we have right now in terms of some of the togetherness for the gospel um, reformed and reformed-ish Christians had 15 years ago, a lot of that togetherness is not there anymore because of other issues. And one of the things I can't help but wonder about is, you know, how possible is our togetherness now? Can the center hold or, or is that question being answered for us right now? Yeah. Um, to say that we agree on the gospel for a while worked, if I can use that word, 15 or 20 years ago but it's becoming increasingly more difficult as we are becoming polarized on certain issues like racism, um, like uh, uh, issues related to side B, gay Christianity, uh, revoice, that kind of thing. These issues are impacting um, the PCA, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, and other denominations. And so on the one hand, it's sad to see the, um, the bonds of our togetherness being broken by some of this. On the other hand, I suppose it's kind of inevitable. And I wonder what, what you would have to say about why is it that some of our differences over, for instance, uh, how we understand the nature of racism and how it should be addressed. Um, why is that issue, for instance, among a handful of issues that are so powerful that they have severed relationships, you know, friendships, organizations that not long ago seemed to be very, very strongly tied together. Um, even, even among people and organizations that still agree completely on the gospel, they seem no longer to be together. Why is yeah. that happening? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, first of all, as an aside, I, I, would say I was actually... I think it was 2012. We were both at Together for the Gospel. Yeah. It was my, one of my, I think I've been to two mega conferences in my entire life. One was Together mm -hmm. for the Gospel in 2012, 
And the other one was John MacArthur's conference, maybe about 2015. The Shepherds um, Conference. I, yeah. yeah, I'm not comfortable at those mass gatherings, um, mm-hmm. simply because I'm not comfortable at mass gatherings. <laughs> but I do remember sitting on the stage there, I was on this panel yep. uh, talking about the problem of celebrity pastors. And it was interesting, somebody commented that, you know, the only difference at the next Together for the Gospel was the celebrity pastors were all there, but Truman had vanished. So <laughs> I, I, I think my message was probably understood and I was fired, effectively. Right. <laughs> but I remember looking up from the stage and seeing these signs around the Yum Center. There was some pest control company whose family first name, uh, surname began with O, and all these signs saying OPC, uh-huh. pest control since 1974. <laughs> I remember thinking, that's great. My denomination has been controlling pests since 1974, but we were, we were founded in the 1930s. What happened in the early 1970s? Oh, yeah, the PCA was founded. So <laughs> I remember pests, thinking, you know. yeah, that captures the OPC. We're here to stop the pests in the PCA getting away with stuff. That's good. You're all about pest but, uh, control. That's good. I, I am, brother. I am. Mm-hmm. Much as I appreciate you, I do want to control sure. you. Of course. Um, I, I, but I think you you make a good point there. I mean, uh, the background, of course, is that you know what, we, what we've seen happening at, at uh, T4G, and to an extent, I think, at Gospel Coalition as well, is that the, sort of the two big, biggest headline mm-hmm. acts if you like, in the evangelical world or or in our evangelical world. I know that that world is much, the evangelical world is much bigger and more amorphous than Mm -hmm. than us and the people we know. But the more or less conservative, Calvinistic-y, at least kind of world. Yeah, the kind of the young, that which emerged from the young, restless and reform Mm -hmm. movement. I think what we've seen in those two organizations in many ways is, is simply a reflection of what's gone on in the wider culture. We've lived through 10 or 15 very, very divisive years right. uh, in the United States. I immigrated in 2001. I don't recognize the country that I live in now to that yeah. compared to that which I immigrated to in 2001. And it's inevitable that the Christian subculture will reflect the tensions and the dynamics of the broader culture in which mm-hmm. we live. I do think, though, that parachurch organizations, can be vulnerable to, to problems because unless there is a very clear and narrow definition about what they exist for, then the constituency, the consumers, the shareholders, mm-hmm. however you like to call them, will all have an interest in, in making the calling of the organization look like their particular projects. Right. I mean, the great thing about being in a denomination, Todd, you know, you're in the PCA, I'm yep. in the OPC, we have a pretty thorough statement of faith. We have the Westminster Confession. There's plenty of things that the Westminster Confession does not speak to. And we have to be in those circumstances disciplined to respect the fact that uh, brothers and sisters in our denomination may disagree with us right. on the positions we hold on those issues upon which the confession does not opine. When you have a sort of a statement of faith or a, a vague idea of your mission relative to, well, it's gospel-centered, that very lack of definition means that different vested interests or different strong personalities can, can put their meaning into that and make that the litmus test. And I think what, what we witness, if you like, in, in T4G or TGC is organizations that are peculiarly vulnerable to the wider polarization of the culture because they don't have quite that clearly defined yeah. and relatively comprehensive statement of, of mission and purpose. Please, if you're listening, don't mishear me at this point. That's not 
necessarily a criticism of those organizations. It's simply to say that organizations like that will have those particular vulnerabilities in the same way that they'll also have certain strengths. That it's great to go to T4G and hang out with pastors yep. that I wouldn't normally cross paths with. Exactly. Southern Baptists from Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Christian Missionary Alliance guys from Canada. You you yeah. you bump into them, at t- and mm-hmm. it's great to meet with brothers in Christ in that context. Yeah. But the ability to do that comes with a vulnerability or a cost, and the vulnerability of the cost is people can start adding stuff to your mission that's difficult to keep out, or which moves to being a litmus test over time. Yeah. You know, and, and I've thought a lot in, I mean, we've had to think a lot in recent years in terms of how the church itself navigates these issues. And so even within the church, even within churches that have a very strong, clear, comprehensive confession of faith, um, you know, the Westminster divines don't have a thing in there about mask mandates. And yeah. so suddenly now we've got brothers and sisters who love their church. They've been in the church for years and they leave the church because it, you know, maybe for a while, you know, masks were required and they felt like that was a capitulation to the Leviathan. And, you know, we just can't be at that church anymore or, or um, you didn't require masks and, and therefore you, you, you don't love your neighbor and you don't care about us. So we're leaving or, 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 or that kind of thing. And again, an issue that uh, is seemingly extraneous to the gospel becomes something that that batters our our unity or the issue for instance of you know how we deal with racism and and the the broader issue of how we deal with racism as opposed to the more specific issue of how we deal with something as specific as say critical race theory now that one's a little easier for me to navigate because i i i can say with a a, a level of confidence that the specific issue of critical race theory undermines the gospel, and therefore, here's how we need to address that. But you, the broader, you can't make that you can't make that claim, Todd, because as we all know, anybody who disagrees with critical race theory <laughs> has not properly understood it. That's right. That's a basic truth. That's a basic truth. That's right. That's right. And and not only have you not understood it, but you've proven yourself to be, yea, verily, a racist. Yes, yeah, we know that. Yeah. And of course, you're you're making part of the point for me there, which is. Uh, you know, when it comes to the specific issue of, for instance, critical race theory, that's easier for me to navigate as a pastor because I can say, look, this is contrary to the gospel. This is harmful to our unity. So we're, we're not going to make room for critical race theory. That said, the broader issue of racism is still a sin. And, and as a sin, um, it needs to be addressed, particularly if it manifests itself in, in common ways in our community or, or, or that sort of thing. And, and so, you know, We've got to address those things in a, in a in a clear and in a biblical way. But I know of pastors who have had church members leave their church um, on both ends of the spectrum on that, either because they said too much about racism or because they didn't say enough about it or they said the wrong thing about it. And, you know, again, I go back to, so where's the togetherness for the gospel there? If, if we say that uh, the gospel is central, the gospel will hold, the gospel's at the center, then we can agree to disagree on certain things about racism. But some people say, no, actually, we we can't. And that's yeah. a hard one to navigate because it is, it's very emotional, feels very personal. And while it's not the gospel itself, maybe, maybe it has gospel implications to it. Um, how far do we trace those implications? 
of the gospel before we decide we have to break fellowship with someone. I mean, I talk to pastors all the time who are experiencing fractures in their church's fellowship. Primarily, I mean, there's been a lot over the COVID stuff, but but primarily over political issues and how how racism is yeah. is addressed and some of this revoice stuff as well. Yeah, but I think the the difference between a denomination like the PCA or the OPC and a parachurch group mm-hmm. like Gospel Coalition, T4G, or let you know, let's include us the Alliance Confessing Evangelicals. Sure. You know, let's mm-hmm. we're not taking an us and them stand here. The difference between the parachurch group and the church group is, in theory, at least the church has procedures by which these things can be addressed. Right. There is a leadership structure. There is an agreed upon document. So, for example, the PCA debates over. Uh, side B uh, homosexuality at the moment. Uh, doesn't matter where you come down on that issue. Mm-hmm. You're debating an agreed document, right? the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Westminster Standards, and you're doing it within an agreed framework of procedure. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe your side wins, maybe your side loses. There's not a guarantee that mm-hmm. things will go your way or even the church will make the right decision. But at least there's a procedure for doing that, whereas in a lot of organizations, and and my fear all along of groups like Gospel Coalition, for example, my fear all along has been people can come to think of them as their denomination. Right. And they don't have the processes for theological and moral discipline that denominations do have. They tend to be run by unaccountable bodies, and they tend to be more subject to the the cultural currents or mm-hmm. the particular bees in the bonnet of the people who hold right. influence. Again, don't, don't hear me as saying denominations are perfect. If you're a denomination, there are no problems. But I'm saying at least denominations have documents and processes by which these things can be addressed. Mm. Doesn't mean they always will be addressed appropriately, right. but it's set out in advance. Whereas one gets the impression sometimes with parachurch organizations that the primary thing driving uh, the way problems approached is public relations. Mm-hmm. It's how is this going to fracture our constituency? How right. is this going to look to the Washington Post if they get hold of the story kind of thing? Whereas in a denomination, well, if the Washington Post get hold of the story, maybe we'll look bad, but we have to follow our procedures. We right. have to follow our rules. We have to do the right thing because we're a denomination. We're mm-hmm. not a consumer coalition built upon the tastes of an amorphous uh, constituency. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, as you mentioned, um, the Gospel Coalition, and there are people involved with the Gospel Coalition that we like a lot. Oh, yeah. It's it's not a beef Um, against TGC at all. No, but- I used to have a beef against TGC. Not anymore. (laughs) I like those guys. (laughs) But what's one of the things that's interesting, and you and I have talked about this offline at various times, is that in their early years, they ran lots of articles on- complementarianism. They were distinguished as a strongly complementarian organization, coalition. Um, you know, again, this was in the days when, you know, Mark Driscoll was one of their council members and uh Talk about and cultural amnesia, you know, exactly, who remembers that now? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And they were strongly complementarian. In fact, um, it was well known at that time that among the more progressive guys in the PCA, the the gospel coalition was very unpopular because of how conservative it was. I I seem to remember that Tim Keller was, people disapproved of Tim Keller being involved on precisely those grounds. Because they were too conservative 
they were too quote you know complementarian. Well, nobody's saying that about TGC now. I mean, they've there's been a real shift. And while they have men on their council who are still clearly complementarian, they run lots of articles that you know advance different views on that which they would not not have done 15 years ago. And now that's much more common now. And and they've been much more popular among a wider group in in the PCA because of that. But I think, you know, I I, I thought about your comment, you know, oftentimes these these um, organizations can turn on whatever B is in the bonnet, so to speak. Well, you know, for some reason in the early days, in the early years of TGC, um, whoever was really helping to form the content was very concerned about egalitarianism and complementarianism. Uh, well, I think if you're drawing on the John Piper constituency, that's where yep. you've got to be. A- absolutely. Uh, but of course, that is, is no longer quite the right. issue. Right. And so that that changed. And, and, and there's another issue where it's clear that not everybody can be together for the gospel, so to speak, if you disagree on that now. So I, I keep you know, wondering about the cohesiveness of the gospel if, if we have really strong disagreements on issues that aren't the gospel, but, but matter. You know, one of the things in terms of people thinking about the Gospel Coalition as a denomination, you know, they several years ago, they produced a, a catechism. So the Gospel Coalition has its, you know, the New City Catechism, which doesn't mention the sacraments, by the way. And, you know, as a Presbyterian. You really it, have become a Presbyterian, haven't you, brother? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wondered if it was just convenient, but no, no you really took, believe this stuff. Now. It, it took. <laughs> and, you know, you have to wonder, okay, so so if a, if, if a catechism will address let's say, um, certain issues about um, racism, but chooses not to address the Lord's Supper and baptism, two chief means by which God communicates his, his grace to us. Um, that, that tells you something about how broad this coalition can be. However, that kind of breadth, ultimately, I, I just don't see how it can hold. It can do so when there's a lot of excitement behind it. Yeah, but as yeah. soon as somebody tosses in a little bit of critical race theory, then we see what happens to the unity. And that's why I think you know, again, returning to sort of where we began with T4G, I think it's and and, and I'm not saying this out of any triumphalist. It's great these people are closing down. No. I think it's good that when movements reach a point where they're at a crossroads, if you right. like, where continuing may well involve a, a watering down or a transformation of mm-hmm. the gospel. It's good that the, the faithful guys at the top decide. No, we we've served our purpose. Right. Uh, it's it's time to to move on to to other things. Yeah. I should add, you know, we have you know, Todd and I have no insight, particular insight into, into why T four G is closing beyond the public statement they've made, right. which we we take at, at absolute face value. Yep. I mean, Al Mohler is an incredibly busy guy. Yes, uh, but I but I do think that you know, you don't want your brand, if you like, to end up. The legitimacy that your brand built by holding to some things, then being used to sanctify other things. I yes. think that it's 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 time to to move on mm-hmm. uh, when that kind of thing is a danger of happening. Right, and I think together for the gospel, I think your term crossroads is very apt because when it gets to a point where increasing demands are being made. That okay, we need together for the gospel to take a stand on critical race theory. We need together for the gospel to take a stand on this issue, and it's not their responsibility as a parachurch 
every other year conference is really, I mean, they weren't producing curriculum and all that stuff. No. They were a conference every other year. It's it was a fellowship, their, essentially. Exactly. It was a fellowship. Exactly. And it's not their responsibility to take a stand on critical race theory or something like that. Um, but that's become more and more of a demand. Now, what I hope is that people will look more and more to their church for um, uh, connectionalism and for unity. I, I This is why a pattern of sound teaching from the pulpit week after week after week is important and where church members are taught to discern between primary issues over which Christians who are going to worship together must agree and lesser issues that are important, but nevertheless, we can bless our Baptist brothers and sisters or bless, um, you know, some of the faithful Methodists that are still hanging on or, or bless, for instance, a church in my community, which is a, a, a gospel preaching doctrines of grace Mennonite church, believe it or not, you know, I can bless them and rejoice with, with their leadership because we do agree on the gospel, but on other issues that don't make us enemies by any means, but keep us from being in the same church together. We're wise enough, I think, to do that. You know, people have denounced denominationalism as something that divides the body of Christ. My response is no, denominationalism, healthy denominationalism actually helps protect the unity of the church. It diffuses the tension. It diffuses tension. Absolutely. I can bless and, and, and we pray, I pray regularly from the pulpit um, on Sunday mornings for the other gospel proclaiming churches yeah. in the Shenandoah Valley. Um, and we root for them. Um, even though we might disagree on baptism and certain other things, we, we really are together for the gospel. Yeah. doesn't mean we have to be in the same church. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, uh, we hope that you'll go to our our website because we want to give away a book. Well, first of all, we want you to give money, lots and lots of money to the <laughs> Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. And you can you can make a donation to them uh, uh, there at the website. But also we want to give away a book. Um, there's a brand new edition of this book that for me was really important when I was a, a, a new Southern Baptist pastor in my early 30s. Um, and it was a brand new book by a guy I, I had not heard of yet, by Mark Dever, and it's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's a, it's a really good book. Um, my fellow Presbyterians will disagree on some of the things that Mark says about a, um, a regenerate church membership, you know, because we, we, we hold to the visible, invisible church distinction. That said, the book is great and uh, is one that I'm, I'm happy is, is out there. And so uh, if you'll go to our website, you can register to win a copy of the, of the latest uh, new edition that they just produced um, of Nine Marks of a Healthy Church by Mark Dever. And we look forward to being with you all next time. Until then, keep safe, and we'll be back with you to continue to um, cause trouble and stir up controversy. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
know what? You got spunk. Well, yes. I hate spunk. <laughs> the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is thankful for your partnership. The Alliance is a working coalition of men and women from diverse backgrounds who share a common passion for the truth of God's Word, upholding biblical doctrine, sharing the gospel, and equipping Christians with trustworthy Bible teaching through broadcasts, publishing, and events. The message we proclaim is one of ultimate hope, which originates not in man, but in what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And it's your generous gifts that enable this good work. As we approach the year's end, we need your help to raise the funds necessary to finish the year strong and reach even more people in the year ahead. So please join us and help underwrite this encouraging Bible teaching ministry. Visit AllianceNet.org donate to make a donation online. That's AllianceNet.org donate or call 1-800-488-1888.